1: Welcome back to the New Books and Indian Religions podcast, a podcast channel here on New Books Network. I'm your host, Dr. Raj Balkaran, on Twitter at Dr. Raj Balkaran. More importantly, today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Justin Henry of Georgia College on a brand new OUP publication called Ravana's Kingdom, the Ramayana and Sri Lanka History from Below. Justin, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here, Raj. And great to see you on Zoom. (laughs) I've already seen you in person. At the first and hopefully potentially annual um, 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 Indian religions reception at the American Academy of Religion in Denver. So it was great to see you there as well.
0: Yeah, it was a lot of fun.
1: We did have a lot of fun. And then we got really racy afterwards. Like the after party was insane. I think you, me and Hamza Staten had wine and um, cheese and crackers. And we debated which translation of the Bhagavad Gita English translation is best to use for students.
0: Uh, That's about as wild as uh, Late Night at AAR gets, I think.
1: Indeed, a a boy can dream. But anyhow, um, um, uh, uh, I'd like to publicly thank the New Books Network for um, so generously supporting that endeavor, that um, initiative, uh, and sponsoring that wonderful uh, bridging of um, what we do on the podcast and what we do uh, uh, in academia, which itself bridges what we do in academia with um, uh, the broader world. So History from below. What is that? What, what, what's up with that? The Ramayana and Sri Lanka. Okay. I know Ramayana. I know Sri Lanka. I mean, I'm sure you've gathered as a listener of the podcast that you know, I'm a little bit slow. So I ask these ridiculous questions. But Ramayana, Sri Lanka, history from below. It, it, this is an historical monograph from below. So tell us about that.
0: Yeah, it's uh, a book about history writing, uh, historical imagination and perceptions of history. Uh, and uh, really, I'm sort of um, directing readers to two things with the uh, history from below subtitle. Uh, one is counter narratives to this long established tradition of history writing by Buddhist monks in Sri Lanka, uh, the Pali Chronicles, uh, very famously, the Deep of and Mahavamsa, uh, some of the earliest historical texts in any language uh, in South Asia. These are. Chronicles of the Acts of the Buddhist Kings of Sri Lanka. Uh, The the Mahavamsa was first written probably in the 5th century, updated periodically since then, actually last in 2010 uh, under the Rajapaksha brothers. Uh, And uh, In the first portion of the book, I'm looking at uh, supplementary narratives to these Pali chronicles, uh, including the later edition in Sinhala historical works of events of the Ramayana and Ravana's reign. Uh, Ravana there being treated as a historical king uh, and and person. So that's sort of the first portion uh, of the book. And the second portion of the book related to this explores the phenomenon over the past 13 years or so in which Ravana has been elevated to the status of a cultural hero uh, among Sinhala Buddhists. So the relationship between the first portion of the book and the second portion of the book uh, is an exploration of where all of this Ramayana imagery came from uh, in the first place, uh, in order that we could have this um, sort of revised notion of the origins of the Sinhala people really treated very, very much in an uh, sort of ethnic sense, using sort of ethnic language, the origins of the Sinhala jati or, or Gotra, uh, as it said. Um, and the, the new narrative today in 21st century Sri Lanka is that the Sinhala people, uh, in fact, are indigenous to the island of Sri Lanka, uh, that uh, they were originally the uh, Yaksha people, the Yaksha Godra, of whom Ravana was a historical king. Uh, Ravana is regarded as a Yaksha rather than a Rakshasa, so somewhat confusingly in Sri Lanka, but uh, that's the way it goes. Uh, and so that's that's the history from below. Bit um, the the sort of theoretical linchpin of the book is an exploration of populism, uh, populism in the sense we all know it as political populism, uh, but also um, populist history writing and uh, populist flows of information, um, specifically as enabled by digital media and social media in the 21st century. So I argue that um, there are many examples historically of folklore, things in oral tradition, Uh, which over the course of centuries become canonized as fact. This happens throughout the world. It can happen in the Roman Catholic Church. It can happen in in Sri Lanka. Uh, But now it can happen much more quickly. Uh, So um, really, uh, it was kind of in the moment of national exuberance following the conclusion of the Sri Lankan Civil War in 2009 that Sinhala people seem to have looked for a grander narrative uh, of their own ethnic history. And these stories about Ravana and um, the ancient Yakshas of Sri Lanka were conveniently there and ordinary people you know amateur sleuths uh, people who regarded themselves as historians started you know digging up these things posting them on facebook uh, sharing uh, sharing stories about um, the historicity of ravana and it really became so far as i can tell uh, over the past uh, 13 years or so a kind of majority view among sinhala buddhists the notion that the sinhala people are in fact uh, indigenous uh, to the island of sri lanka uh, it's a story that displaces the conventional narrative of the origins of the Sinhala Buddhist people, one enshrined in the Pali Chronicles, uh, which claims that the very first Sinhalas are descended from a certain prince named Vijaya, Heir to the throne of the kingdom of Lata, the northeast Indian kingdom of Lata, uh, who was ineligible for the throne. He was kind of a, a party person. His, his father, the king, didn't seem as as suitable uh, to um, uh, suitable to become uh, suitable to 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 take the throne, and so expelled him along with seven hundred of his fraternity brothers out into the Bay of Bengal. Uh, they touch. Uh, shore somewhere in northern Sri Lanka at the exact moment of the Parinirvana of the Buddha, and from then the from them the Sinhala kings and Sinhala people are descended. So this would be some two thousand five hundred years ago, and the uh, modern Ravana descent narrative displaces uh, the origins of the Sinhala people back some uh, several millennia prior. Uh, uh,
1: a number of fascinating. Um themes lines of thought we have um you know the the you know the potentially uh without putting words in your mouth the the recasting or the 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 the, the texturing of, of of a character uh an established character right a a, a, a spin-off <laughs> series mm-hmm. if you will yeah um, we have yeah. um, we have also uh, the the connection between uh, the interplay between you know um, 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 uh, mythic narratives and historical narratives and their cross pollination. Um, uh, we we have um, we have the extent to which um, such narratives are leveraged um, in the popular imagination for political perhaps even spiritual or religious purposes. I mean, it really is fascinating. Um, What got you into this uh, line of study? How did you get interested in this?
0: Uh, Well, I started off really as a student of Pali Buddhism. Uh, Prior to doing my PhD, uh, I spent two years in Sri Lanka studying Sanskrit, Pali, uh, and Sinhala. I wrote my dissertation on Buddhist and Hindu historiography. Uh, So Pali and Sinhala Chronicles uh, and Tamil Talapuranas or or temple histories. And that was really a study of the integration of uh, Hindu-Puranic themes into Sinhala Chronicles over time and kind of a a look at uh, at translation uh, and multilingualism in pre-modern Sri Lanka. Uh, But, you know, out of uh, this sort of uh, wealth of details, as I would give conference papers and talk to people about this, the one thing that people were truly interested in was this business about um, the eventual emergence of Ravana in uh, Sinhala historiography. So it was really kind of that coupled with these references I found really from the fifth century of Buddhist monastic authors telling lay people not to tell stories of Padata and Ramayana. So really, uh, the the first one uh, I found is in Utagosa, the famous 5th century Pali commentator, um, who several times uh, mentions that uh, the stories of Bharata and the Sita Harana, the theft of Sita, are near-attaka kata, uh, pointless stories. And he goes on to call them senseless babble, the kinds of things which good... Pious lay Buddhists shouldn't be talking about these are frivolous sorts of things. Uh, you should only be telling stories of the guna, the virtues of the Buddha, right? So you know, Buddhagosa establishes this, but I find people, B- Buddhist authors, saying the same thing all the way into the nineteenth century. The same sort of thing, and you know, what's interesting about it is that it's kind of a, a tell uh, that although these. Senior monks didn't want people telling these stories. Clearly they were. And <laughs> I mean the Ramayana is it's a fun story. Everyone likes it, not not just Hindus, but you don't Chinese have to forbid and something. And Muslims.
1: You don't have to forbid something unless people are doing it and want to be doing it. <laughs>
0: uh exactly, right? It's like in in uh in alaska there's a, a state law saying that it's illegal to uh throw a moose out of a moving airplane right and why is that well obviously because somebody must have tried it at one point right uh so same thing right? we don't have to prohibit stories of the theft of CETA uh unless people really like telling these stories and clearly they work
1: so. um fascinating um what do you see as
0: key core uh, takeaways from the book uh, well um I tried to, I tried to sort of pull back the throttle on too much theory. So I engage a little bit with theory of populism and semiology and Ernesto Laclau. Uh, but really I kind of, I, I kind of wanted the, the story to, to tell it itself, uh, as much as I could, um, uh, in terms of, uh, in terms of key takeaways, um, you know I think that we're we are living in an age now where everything is really so public uh, with respect to the volume of information that people share online, that we can kind of see the mythmaking process in real time, uh, which I really did, you know, looking at these, you know Ravana and. Uh, Yakshagotra interest groups on Facebook as they gained members over the past 10 years and so forth. So, I mean, for people who are ethnographers, uh, formally or informally, um, I mean, we can really see this process of popular tradition going mainstream, oral history uh, becoming canonized uh, something that has gone on for centuries, millennia, uh, but we can kind of watch it in real time right now. Um, So this is, I think, uh, instructive. Um, yeah, uh, I think also, I guess it's just a very, gen- a very general comment is, um, in terms of things to take away is the fact that there was, there has been this scholar, there has been this scholarly narrative for many years that the Ramayana, uh, that, that Sri Lanka was unique insofar as it didn't have any significant Native Ramayana tradition. Uh, You know there are even arguments on the part of people like Heinz Beschard and Stephen Collins that the Ramayana is not at all significant in Sinhala Buddhist imagination. And I want to say here that uh, even though it is excluded from the most famous Buddhist historical texts in Sri Lanka. people still really liked it. It still was important. Uh, so I kind of you know, did a lot of work to collate references from uh, various places to, to demonstrate this. And even if um, it's uh, the Ramayana is not uh, prominent in the best known literature, it was still cl- clearly still very popular uh, among ordinary people.
1: Oh, definitely an important contribution to the field um, and, and really fascinating. I mean, uh, I'm perhaps uh, slightly biased in that I uh, love narrative um, and uh, th- actually have studied the Ramayana. I, and, and yet, as a scholar of the Ramayana, I mean, um, uh, I knew next to nothing about what I've learned from reading your book. <laughs> it's such a rich, rich tradition. And it's such an epic tale, pun intended, um, that folks love to <laughs> engage. They love to... Uh, perhaps assimilate, perhaps appropriate, perhaps recast, and it's just a, you know it's a powerful, uh, moving story. And if you want to move people for whatever purposes, <laughs> why not use the Ramayana? Um, what surprised you about this research? Uh,
0: um, you know, so one one point that I make in my book is that the endurance of the Ramayana owes to the fact that it's a fun story to tell I mean this is the motivation for the objection on the part of these Buddhist monks who are trying to uh prohibit it uh, I mean it's it's like too fun right and you know, we're supposed to uh uh we are supposed to uh subdue our passions as a good Buddhist so you know, stories about um uh martial heroism and romance are not the kind of things that we're supposed to be uh, talking about uh, but Everyone, uh, lay Buddhists included, like fun stories. Uh, and I think that uh, this, um, uh, I mean, I think that this is really uh, the, um, uh, the, the reason why the, the Ramayana is, um, it remains so popular th- throughout South Asia. And um, the thing that, I don't know if it surprised me, but the thing that uh, in retrospect, I acknowledge about this research is that it was really fun for me to do. Uh, like I had fun doing it. And the people, as I was actually doing my field work and you know, going around talking with people you know, poking about in dusty backroom shelves in the Colombo National Library, uh, people were excited about what I was doing. They were very eager to help me. Uh, it's like I kind of had fun along the way uh, doing this. And I continue to now as I'm presenting my work publicly in Sri Lanka, you know, I get people uh, from sort of all levels engaging with this, uh, including people who are complete academic outsiders, who are really genuinely interested in this, and I have to field their questions. Um, You know, I I say this, uh, but I need also to acknowledge that there are Um, some some darker aspects to this as well, right? I mean, there are aspects of ethno-nationalism and uh, religious chauvinism, um, things that are being recapitulated in Buddhist terms in Sri Lanka, which we know very well from Hindu nationalism in India. Uh, So um, it's important to acknowledge that as I spend a a great deal of time doing uh, in my book also. So, you know, things that are fun uh can also um of course uh you know have these um uh um uh, d- dark, dark underbelly aspects to them yeah yeah what's that
1: As dark and a uh, dark underbelly uh
0: yes a dark underbelly yeah of course um
1: i'm so glad to hear that you had so much fun with your research i think um is isn't that perhaps uh, um, um, the goal you know find work that's remotely enjoyable <laughs> pursue it yes um, yes um, I, which is not to say it's not a work and I'm sure there was a fair bit of toil to pop this head I I imagine <laughs> like with any book of course um, yeah I have Um. I typically steer clear of very nerdy questions on this podcast for obvious reasons, but I just, I, I can't help but ask you, I, I realize that it's, it's sort of ancillary to your primary research aim, but have you come across uh, uh scholarship uh, uh, regarding whether or not the Lanka and the Valnikida mine is actually what we think of Sri Lanka today? Has this, have you come across this?
0: So I actually spend uh, a bit of time treating it uh, in chapter two of my book. Uh, and the answer Seems to be not just with respect to Valmiki Ramayana, but um, pretty much all first millennium Ramayanas in India. The answer seems to be uh, no, (laughs) that there is not uh, an identity between the Lankapura or Lankapuri of Ravana and the island of Sri Lanka. So, spoiler alert. uh, Yes. (laughs) Uh, Yes, spoiler alert, right? Yeah, I mean, the Lankapura is described as this uh, enormous uh, citadel uh, that sits on the top of Trikuta Mountain that is 100 Yojanas or 800 miles out in the Southern Ocean. This is in the Valmiki ramayana And um, other first millennium Sanskrit texts make a distinction between Ravana's Lankapura and Sinhala Dvipa, the island of the Sinhalas, which is Sri Lanka. So, yeah, we don't really get a sense of an identity between Lankapura and Sri Lanka there.
1: Who might most uh, be interested in or benefit
0: from the book? My editor called the book a high-level academic monograph uh, and insisted Ooh. that it should be sold as a, as a hardcover for a high price. <laughs> and I, I tried to argue with him saying that there, w- there would be a broad interest in this book, not only among scholars, but among members of the general public. Uh, I really tried hard not to use too much theory or too much jargon uh, there are a lot of footnotes. It is, of course, a scholarly monograph, uh, but I hope that it's at least accessible to undergraduates. I hope that it's at least accessible to interested members of the general public. And from my understanding of how it's selling so far, um, it is reaching a wide audience. So it, yeah, I just hope it's that definitely be it is
1: certainly an accessible reading without question. Um, who, in terms of um, in terms of fields interests?
0: Uh so I, I'm really coming from a Buddhist studies background. Um, and my language training is in Pali and Sinhala primarily. Uh, so people interested in the Theravada Buddhist world, uh, people who are interested, I think, also in Hindu narrative and the many Ramayana genre, uh, people who are interested in media studies, uh, because I also in the last two chapters of the book, um, get into uh, kind of informal online ethnography of the the 21st century Stinghala Ravana movement. Uh, So uh, people in uh, in domains like that, um, and people sort of generally interested in um, uh, contemporary Indian religions, I would say. Fantastic.
1: And so is this work that you're continuing in some shape or form?
0: Yeah, um, I you know one thing that came out of this was uh, this um, what, one thing that came out of this uh, was what uh, Banu Subramaniam has uh, recently called archaic modernities or attempts to project aspects of modern life into antiquity. So in the case of the Sinhala Ravana movement there is this kind of quest for the fantastic technology of Ravana and his uh, Yaksha people. So uh, the the idea that Rob and I had, you know, jet powered aircraft and intercontinental ballistic missiles and so forth. And in some cases, you know, literally people who go and get arrested trespassing on government property uh, in search of of these things. People very very literally uh, believe this. So this is uh, an archaic modernity of the notion of technology long ago. We, of course, know examples from India as well. Uh, My last AAR paper and a subject of my continuing research is this attempt to produce Project modern notions of liberal democracy and free market economies uh, into prehistory in India, the notion that the Arta Shastra is a kind of uh, treatise on laissez-faire uh, economics uh, and so forth. So I'm kind of working on a project of religion and wealth, and my point of entry uh, is this attempt to uh, make the the ancient modern uh, in terms of um, civic life and economics. So that's kind of what I'm thinking about now and has come out of this project.
1: Fascinating. Well, I suspect this will not be uh, our, our last conversation be it um, um, on the podcast or at the podcast party or who knows where.
0: Thank you for appearing. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Raj.
1: All right. Um, for those listening, well, we've been speaking with Dr. Justin Henry on Ravana's Kingdom, a brand new OUP publication. Uh, check it out. Um, uh, we can engage, you can engage this podcast with me at uh, on Twitter at Dr. Raj Balcaron. I'm learning about social media, <laughs> slow but sure. Um, <laughs> until next time, keep well, um, keep listening, keep reading, and keep contemplating the power of narrative, ancient and modern alike. Take care.